0: Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to the Make Meaning Podcast. Today I have on the show Joel Hawbaker. He's a high school teacher, a soccer coach, and a blended family expert in Alabama. And his story has dips and turns along its way toward success. Joel speaks widely about blending families and being resilient, and I love how he teaches young people and adults that their story is theirs to write. Joel Hawbaker, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast.
1: Thank you very much. I'm excited to talk with you this morning, Lynn, and uh, hopefully can share some things that will be encouraging, inspiring, and uh, challenging to your listeners and your audience.
0: Yeah, I'm so thrilled to have you here today. There's just so many areas we're going to touch on because you have such a wide-ranging area of expertise. <laughs> you do a lot of things. And so I'm going to start with um, probably a really tough question. Forgive me in advance, but That's all right. um, if you had to choose one of the things that you do as your most self-defining endeavor, would it be teaching, working with blended families, coaching soccer, or being a father and husband?
1: Um, I would go with father and husband. Uh, okay but I would say that the rest are pretty close second and it just depends on the day. Um, I've, <laughs> yeah. I've had people ask me for years, you know, if you had to pick one like teaching or coaching, uh-huh. what would you pick, and I always say it depends on how class went that day. It depends on how practice went that day.
0: You know, <laughs>
1: yes. If I had a great class period and the kids were uh, really engaged and, and we just had a good day teaching. If we yeah. had a great soccer game or a great practice coaching, if yep. if I just had to grade 57 freshman <laughs> essays <Yeah>. not teaching. <laughs> I totally you know? get it
0: totally so. get it you know it's funny I've coached soccer for my youngest son since he was four he's now 14. nice and so um, obviously this year we lost our spring season but um mm-hmm. and now he's going to high school so I, I always said when you go to high school you play on the high school team and right. I'm done and okay. so I sort of hung up my coaching yeah hung up the whatever. whistle yeah but I'm like really sad about it because that mm-hmm. was probably one of my most fun things to do You know.
1: Yeah, it can be an absolute blast, and I did the same thing. My daughters are sixteen and thirteen these days, and I coached them both from the time they were three or four up until they got too old for rec soccer. Yeah, and then I've coached my older daughter on a travel soccer team for a couple of years. Nice. And um, yeah, and then I, I've actually the high school where I taught and coached is different than the one that they go to, and so I resigned as a high school coach last year so that I could watch my two daughters play. Um, yeah. Together, because my older or my younger one decided in the fall she wanted to play volleyball instead of club soccer and that's great so she's enjoying a different sport and then in the spring they play together on the high school team and that's pretty fun
0: yeah it's really fun because they can really do three seasons of sports if they are dedicated and so and you know you only get this for four years and so you really want to be there in the stands cheering them on so I totally get that that's a smart decision
1: I'm sure it was definitely a hard one but it was it was the right one
0: yeah, yeah, and I, I sort of have a little vision of when my kids are grown. Maybe I'll start coaching little kids
1: again and just have fun with it, or you know, just yeah. to be out
0: there on the on the pitch. So we'll see. But I'm
1: I'm glad you do. I'm thankful my kids are old enough, and I have no <laughs> desire to coach little ones ever again.
0: Maybe grandchildren one day. Then you no. can coach them. No, just, no.
1: <laughs> uh, well, that's not true. Maybe because I I the thing is I don't like kids.
0: Oh, really. Enough. No, okay. Not
1: little ones. No, like I like okay. mine. I like the yes, ones we're related yeah. to. I like the yeah. ones that are close friends of our family. Okay. But, you know, got I, it. In, in general, I uh-huh. do not like small children. I never <laughs> have. I just, they're smelly and they're sticky. And I just, I, you know, I've just never been comfortable with them. Uh huh. Um, and I, I admit that to people and they kind of look at me like I'm a terrible human being. I'm like, but I like puppies.
0: <laughs> yes. I don't know if that counts, oh. but you know, and you must like teenagers because you're a high school I, teacher.
1: I do. Well, my issue is I never really matured beyond about 14 and a half years old, <laughs> uh, which my wife would hardly concur with. And so, getting along <laughs> with high schoolers is a piece of cake.
0: Uh huh. Got it's, it.
1: It's the little kids and the you know adults that I have trouble with.
0: That's so funny. All right, so I want to dive into your story. So um, let's start with your role as a blended family coach. So I want to ask you what that means and how you work
1: with families. Sure. So um, the thing with blended families is that I'm, I've been part of one most of my life. My parents split up when I was in middle school. And uh, about a year later, my mom started dating uh, Brian, a guy that I still call my stepdad, even though they never married, they dated for, I'm not even sure how many years. And he's Mm -hmm. still, he's still a part of my life. We still check in with each other and, and that sort of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was when my blended family journey started when I was 13 or 14 years old. And mm-hmm. then as an adult, uh, I got married for the first time when I was halfway through college. Uh, I was 19 okay. and, um, she and I were married for eight and a half years. We had our two daughters together and then mm-hmm. we divorced about 10 years ago. And then I've been remarried for six years. She's been remarried for about six and a half. And we live <laughs> two miles apart in the same <laughs> small town in Alabama where we both grew up, where there's okay. like less than 30,000 people here. So everybody <laughs> knows everybody. Sure. Um, you know, my, my kids probably don't enjoy it as much as I did because, um, we have a distinctive last name, Hallbaker. And so you can't, like, if you mention our last name, uh-huh. pe- people know who you're related to, <laughs> for good or for bad. Uh-huh. And, um, and so we, we really had to figure out how to make it work. We had to figure out how we're going to get along because she and I agreed, like, neither one of us is going to move away until the kids are in college. Because we we want our kids to have both of us and we don't want it to turn into some ugly, well, if one of us moves, where do the kids go kind of custody battle. And and I hope people listening to this don't hear me condemning them if that's what happened in their families. I'm just telling you what we chose to do and how it's worked out for us. Yeah, Um, And so uh, about... uh, about three, or four years ago, I got into professional speaking in addition to my, my high school teaching and my coaching and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, because I love it. I love being on stage. I love being in front of an audience. And I uh-huh. tell people all the time, the hardest audience in the world is a group of tired, jaded 14 year olds on a Monday morning. <laughs>
0: yes.
1: Yes. If, if I can get them interested in things like world war one, uh-huh. if you put me on a, on a stage in front of an audience of paying adults who want to be there to learn, like that is a piece of cake. Right. Right. It's a hundred times easier. So, but I do, I I love being on stage. And so I focused a lot on leadership for the first couple of years. Um, Mm -hmm. I wrote an ebook about my dad and leadership lessons he taught me. Mm -hmm. I wrote a full length book about leadership, uh, like gospel centered uh, servant leadership. And, and, you know, it did pretty well with those. That was a lot of fun, but I really just felt this tug toward the blended family space because there just aren't a lot of people Doing that, and it's it's so it's not just step families; it's also families with foster kids or adopted kids, Mm -hmm. um, or things like that, because those are those are part of our family as well. My older brother has two biological daughters and then a a foster son, Mm -hmm. and then uh, I've got some in-laws who have two biological sons and then two adopted kids from overseas. So those are different kinds of blended families, yeah. And so I've learned a lot of lessons from them. We've learned a lot of lessons in our own blended family. We've got Mm -hmm. tons of friends who are divorced and remarried, and the issue is there are eight gajillion uh, resources for families. Mm -hmm. There's parenting books coming out of people's ears. I mean, and it's great, Mm -hmm. but there is a tiny fraction of a percentage of that for blended families. And so, you know, my goal is just to step into that gap.
0: It's interesting. So, okay, just full disclosure. I also am part of a blended family. So mm-hmm. I was married to my first husband for eight years. We had okay. three wonderful kids and uh, we divorced when they were, <clears throat> excuse me, two, four, and six. Okay. And so my kids who are now all teenagers have lived most of their life shuttling back and forth between two homes, also two yep. miles apart, by the way, um, yep. which is nice, nice and you know, easy. Yeah, that's family.
1: very similar to our story. That's good.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. I mean, we've had our we've had our differences over time, and we've gotten along over time, and it's been a real journey. But I do feel that, you know, there's such a there is still a little bit of a judgment about divorce out there, oh, yeah. and then I think people assume that if you remarry, um, everything's just going to be easy and quick, and everybody meshes. And I have I happen to know some families who did not blend. And right. so, you know, not only is it hard to be married to somebody, but then when your kids don't like the other spouse or each other, it's like, what are we doing? It's like total right. chaos, you know? And so yeah. I yep. do, I mean, I feel really lucky that ours really blended well and, and we feel cohesive, but- um And frankly, we've been to things recently. We had some graduations, an eighth grade graduation, a high school graduation. And so, you know, my ex and my husband and I all sat together. I brought folding chairs for everybody. And it's really nice when that can happen. But Mm -hmm. I know it doesn't happen all the time. So like, I'm wondering, from your expertise, what do you think is the key to blending families and actually building that cohesion?
1: It's a great question. I, I wish there were just one easy key, but there's a couple <laughs> things that I'll share. Um, and I appreciate you sharing about some of your story, because I think it's great for people to know uh, a couple of things that you said. And one is that there is still this stigma about yeah. divorce and remarriage, because whether we mean to or not, anytime you mention that you've been divorced in most people's heads, the first question they go is, well, what happened? Right. Like they right. want to know why. And that's natural curiosity. But it's also, I don't know if it's tinged with a little bit of Schadenfreude, like where we just enjoy other people's suffering and heartache. Yeah. Um, or if it's just because, uh, you know, maybe they're trying to learn or whatever it may be. Maybe it's just nosiness. I know that's the issue for me <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, but it, it, people want to know what happened. Why did you get divorced? And and that's not necessarily a question that you really have to answer. You no, you know, like you're it's, right. not, it's not anybody's business. Right. Um, but people want to know and and so sometimes people are afraid to talk about being remarried because they don't want to have that uncomfortable well what happened in your first marriage or whatever and so Mm -hmm. especially for a lot of people that go to church uh unfortunately there is still a big stigma within churches of if you've gotten divorced it must be Mm -hmm. because somebody did something really really bad or you're a bad person because you got divorced and nobody did anything bad which means you just should have stuck with it And, Mm -hmm. and there's just all this implied criticism and judgment and i on the one hand, I get it, and on the other hand, that's not really what we're supposed to be doing within the church, right. um, which is a lot of where I do uh, my work. Okay. And so um, the, uh, the other issue there, uh, to, to really answer your question in terms of how to make those blends work, the first mm-hmm. part is you have to understand it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. That's the absolute bottom bedrock kind of a key. It's not going to happen quickly and successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, one of the one of the best resources that I recommend to everybody is a book called The Smart Step Family by Pastor Ron Diehl, Deal, D-E-A-L. Okay. Um, my wife and I read that one as part of our premarital counseling with our pastor, and it's brilliant, and he shares a lot of wisdom. And one of the key word pictures that he paints in that book is he says, think about it as if you were cooking, right? You can cook a meal in the microwave. Mm-hmm. It'll fill you up. It may have some nutritional value. It may even be reasonably okay. Mm-hmm. But if you cook something in the crock pot or the slow cooker, mm-hmm. you know it's going to be good. You know mm-hmm. it's going to take a while. You mm-hmm. know the ingredients were put in there with care. But you also know it's going to be worth the wait. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. that's that's how, that's exactly how blended families work. Um, and I, I completely agree with Pastor Deal uh, when he says that because um, I've seen that. Beca- uh, like you mentioned, when you get into a new blend, sometimes mm-hmm. it goes really well from the beginning. Other times it's it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of conscious effort um, because you just don't know what you don't know. And like you said, people assume that when you get remarried, it's Mm going to be easy. Like when you start a first marriage and it's like, yeah, "Yeah, no, because it's infinitely more complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, actually pastor, uh, pastor deal recently co-wrote a book with, uh, I believe it's Gary Smith, the guy who wrote five love languages, if okay. any of listeners are familiar yeah. with that. Yeah. And it's about it's about the five love languages in a blended family and kind of how those things overlap. And and they did a presentation um, at an online conference maybe a couple months ago where mm-hmm. they showed this graphic of all the different relationships, like a spider web. Mm-hmm. Um, in a blended family and so it had like mom and dad and then stepmom and stepdad and lots mm-hmm. of kids mm-hmm. and uh, and then and it kind of branched out and then you could see like grandparents and cousins and aunts and uncles and it was just like oh my goodness yeah and it was a really wonderful picture of how very quickly things get complicated and how something that shouldn't necessarily affect a blended family is going to because of the complex nature of those relationships and it's just again if you had never been in it or studied it it just may not have occurred to you. And that's not your fault. that not make you a bad person. It just means you don't know what you don't know. And exactly. most people, when they're getting remarried, haven't ever been remarried before. Right. And, and so they don't know. And that's, again, that's one of the things that I try to help people with is just letting them know, listen, I'm, I'm really like, I'm thrilled for your blended family. I'm glad it's going well so far. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to dampen your enthusiasm, but you do need to know you're going to hit unexpected bumps in the road. Yeah. So don't let, that, don't let that get to you. It's, it's part of the process.
0: It totally is. I mean, it's interesting because I think, I don't know if you feel this way, but I know that I grew up on all of the romantic movies and, you know. so (laughs) I did not
1: grow up watching a lot of rom-coms, I'll be honest. (laughs) I mean, unless you count Top Gun.
0: Well, that's romantic too. There's some scenes there, you know, but I do think that we, you know, have this image of marriage that is not realistic. And so that's one thing. So if we're lucky enough to have like premarital counseling or, you know, like a a more realistic view, I think then people can start a marriage on a better foot. But so, you know, but in America, I mean, we really are, you know, have this like rose colored image of marriage, which makes it, you know, Understandable when it doesn't work because that's not right. reality, and so one of the, one of the things that I learned, you know, from my first marriage to my second is that it's all about your perspective. So mm-hmm. you can focus yes. on all the bad and you can blame the other person, and you know you can sort of whine about that stuff, or you can accept. Who they are and choose to see the good, and just know that there's going to be moments when you annoy each other, and that's just part of it, you know. And so, like once I shifted my perspective, it was a lot easier to be married, you know, (laughs) because I mean, my husband didn't change at all, but but even my ex husband, like I can get along with him better when I choose to accept him as he is instead of grumbling and and you know having resentment or anything like that. And I think for the kids, that's super important because. One of the things I feel, I mean, I do feel a little guilty, um you know, for my choice in uh, ending one marriage and then starting another because my kids didn't ask to go between houses. I don't have to go between houses. You know, I get to stay in one place. Right. And so I try to really have compassion for them because they, you know, they don't deserve any of that. You know, they're, right. and they're yep. wonderful and I'm so grateful to be their mom. So I don't want to complicate their existence, their presence on, you know, by, by being selfish and being, you know, resentful or anything like that. I think that's really important in blended families and remarriages that I think that the adults need to be the adults and remember Mm. that, that, you know, the kids really... I don't know if you agree with this, but the kids have to be the focus if you want things to blend and you want to take into account everybody who's a part of that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with, uh, with you know everything that you said there, especially about how once we change our perspective, then everything shifts, not because the other person's changed, but because we've changed how we view them. Sure. Uh, In in fact, uh, so I have a resource that I share. It's called The Ten Commandments of Blended Family Life. Okay. And um, I'm actually writing a book that will have the same things in there. I recently wrote a a devotional that we're working on getting published that that talks about a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. And one of them is – actually, you touched on a couple of them when you were speaking there. One of them is the adults need to be the adults. Yeah. Um, And another one is um, choose to believe the best about the other household. Because what what we believe is our choice. Like we really do get to decide what we believe to be true um, to a large degree. And so the thing is, you get to choose what it is about the other person that you focus on. If you choose to focus on the hurt that they caused you or the bitterness that you have toward them, yeah, it's going to make it real hard to get along. But if Mm -hmm. you choose to focus on the good things about them, you know what, even though I disagree with some of his decisions, I know that my ex-husband loves our kids and wants to be a good father. Well, that's yeah. going to give you a much more generous interpretation of all of his actions and words. Even if you don't agree with them, you you really do choose to believe that he has their best interests at heart, even if it's not how you would have done it, right? Absolutely. And and that can go miles towards building a better blended family for people. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. The kids need to be one of the main focuses. Um, actually... Um, recently had a, an online conference and another great couple who works in the blended family space, their names are Gil and Brenda Stewart,
0: mm-hmm. uh, husband
1: and wife team, and they do some great work. And um, they share a, a, a phrase that's really good because they're both, you know, they're remarried and got kids. And they say mm-hmm. if you don't have the marriage, you don't really have anything. Mm-hmm. And so one of the big focuses has to be on making sure your marriage is strong, but at the same time, you don't do that at the expense of the kids. Right. right. The, the, yeah. The, the children's well-being absolutely needs to be uh, at the front of a lot of your thinking, because like you said, um, the, they didn't ask for it. Mm-hmm. And and so they shouldn't have to suffer for it any more than uh, they're going to just by the nature of having two houses and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember who it was I spoke with recently that said something really great about it as well. Uh, it was another person that I interviewed for our online conference, and they said um, the thing about a divorce is a divorce Ends a marriage; it does not end a family.
0: That is a great phrase. I love.
1: Right? That. I told him I was going to steal it. Now I got to remember who it was so I can give him the credit. I mean, I'm a history teacher, so like I need to be able to cite my sources with footnotes and stuff. And this is <laughs> I can't remember who it was. I'm looking around. It. it may. Have, I think it was a lady named Judy Graybill who is also a blended family coach. Uh, okay. It was either. It was either Judy Graybill or Sarah Pendleton because it was one of those two ladies that was on our conference. So, um, but yes, I love that phrase. I think it's fantastic, and. Um, and it, you know, like I said, that, that reminds me when you were talking about how um, you said that when we shift our perspective or when we look at things differently, it really can change a lot without changing the other person at all. Mm-hmm. And I 100% agree. Again, as a history teacher, a lot of what I teach the kids is that history doesn't change, but our interpretation of it does. Sure. The, the facts are the facts. Like July mm-hmm. 4, 1776, okay, that's a date. That's not going to change. Mm-hmm. How we view that date changes depending on our perspective. Mm -hmm. and obviously like in America today we're seeing a lot of that Mm
0: -hmm. in terms
1: of a reevaluation of history and what it means to celebrate or honor history whether Mm -hmm. you're talking about statues or whether you're talking about legacies of slavery or racism Mm -hmm. or things like that the Mm -hmm. way that we view history changes sure well guess what that works for people too the way that you view other people is going to change if you if you hold on to a a belief that's going to make you bitter and angry towards your ex. Mm -hmm. That's exactly going to define your relationship for as long as you hang on to it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. If
1: you're you're willing to reevaluate, you may be very surprised at what you're able to accomplish in terms of making progress and moving forward.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. It's really, it's really wise, and we're going to include all of these references and books and and different people you've mentioned in the show notes, so that our listeners can can find them and, and right. find you as well. Um, but you know, I want to hear a little bit more about your story. So I know that you speak about how your life took a hundred and eighty degree turn at one point, <laughs> and you're happier now than you could have imagined. Yep. So I wonder yep. if you would um, share that journey with us. Today. Yeah, I,
1: I would love to. And I'll give you the Notes version because the long version, we'd still be sitting here at lunchtime. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's the thing is, there's a couple fundamentals um, about actually next. Uh, yeah. So uh, about 12 years ago, I lost my dad to cancer. Mm, and so um, yeah, my, my dad was my hero and it was a it was a pretty tough 18 months of his illness before he passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've always been an angry person. You can't tell because this is an audio thing, but I'm <laughs> uh, I'm not very tall. I'm about five foot three. OK, so whether you want to call it Napoleon complex or short man syndrome or whatever you want to call it, it's fine. <laughs> but like I was angry my entire life. Okay. And when dad died, it just got much, much worse. And unfortunately for my family, that's who I took it out on. I took it out on my first wife and our two young daughters. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize at the time the damage that I was causing them in terms of um just emotional distress or just being harsh and like I wasn't abusive, but I was certainly more strict and more harsh with my tone of voice than I needed to be. Mm -hmm. And um and and that caused problems and that was one of the factors that that led to our divorce. Mm -hmm. And um that didn't help anything in terms of my anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, I, you know, I went through about two years of just struggling and uh, I let myself go. I, I ballooned up to almost 200 pounds. I normally sit mm-hmm. around 150 or 160. And, and mm-hmm. so I just, you know, was not taking care of myself physically or mentally or emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I met my now wife. Well, it's not true. I've known her family for a long time, but sort of reconnected with her. Mm-hmm. And um, this is before we ever even started dating. But she uh, she was home from college right before her junior senior year, and I'd mentioned something about needing to lose weight. And she said, "Well, I'll get up and I'll go. I'll go run with you if you want." Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's an attractive female. I'll get up early in the <laughs> morning and go run with her before work. Yeah, Because uh, I, I got out of teaching for a couple of years after the divorce as well. And so um, I had to go to work at like 7.30 in the morning. So we got up and ran at five o'clock in the morning, five days a week for wow. a whole summer. Yeah, I yeah. dropped like. I think I dropped 40 pounds in about three months. That's awesome. It was ridiculous. Um, Mm -hmm. It was great, but I hated getting up that. I'm a morning person, but not, not while it's still dark outside. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that was good. And then I made a giant mistake and dated someone else for about nine months. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, um, started dating the lady that I'm now married to. And I'm really grateful because uh, I, I credit the turnaround of my life to three things. I credit to my, my family, my friends and my faith because my church played a huge role in helping me understand uh, how important it was for me to take responsibility for my mistakes and be willing mm-hmm. to try to make up for them and move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, my, you know, my parents were there. Or my, uh, my mom was there, and my brother and my sister and my family were were supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I had a, a group of close friends that uh, that supported me as well. And uh, and now my wife is uh, again. She's like I, I tell everybody all the time too. Being a step parent may be the single hardest gig in the world because mm-hmm. you have all of the responsibility. You've got to pay the bills. You got to drive the kids. You got to fix the lunches when they're little. You got to help with the laundry, and you have to do all the parent things. And you are mm-hmm. guaranteed literally zero. Of the love, affection, (laughs) respect, or appreciation. You Uh get all the crap and you are Uh guaranteed nothing. Right. (laughs) And that is such an unfair deal. I know. And I'm not a step-parent. I've never been one. I don't have any plans to become one Uh um, because we're married and our goal is to stay married forever. Uh Um, But, oh, my goodness, I've told so many people I could not sign up for that. (laughs) <laughs> so God bless people who do like literally yesterday we went to a wedding and it was one of my former soccer players who has a son uh-huh. and the lady that he was marrying.
0: Uh-huh. And I,
1: I told them right after the ceremony, I caught them before we went into the reception. I, I told him how proud I was of him watching him grow up from this 15 year old goofy kid to being the amazing dad that he is. Cause his son's five or six now. Oh, wow. And, um, and I told his wife, I said, I just want you to know I have all the respect in the world for you because being a step parent, being a bonus mom or a bonus dad, Oh my goodness. <laughs> like it takes a special person to sign up for that gig. And I just want you to know, I really respect you for doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 I, and I mean that because it like, I've watched my wife do it and mm-hmm. oh my goodness, it can be really difficult. Like it's hard to be a parent. Oh, but yeah. what, if you're, what if you're a parent who's not even guaranteed the kind of guarantees you get by being a biological parent?
0: Right. Right. Like,
1: no, thank you. That's what yeah. I say. No, thank you. <laughs>
0: It's hard because you can notice things and want to do something to help your stepchild, Mm
1: -hmm. and really, it's
0: not your not even your role. Like all you can do is tell their parent, "Hey, this is going on, and this is what I think they need," and then it's up to them with their ex spouse, and you kind of have to sit on the sidelines and hope for the best. So you know, you invest all your love, sweat, tears, everything. And uh you just hope that it you know, that they're that you get that love. I mean, I got a beautiful text from my stepdaughter on Mother's Day. She was with her mom, obviously, this mm-hmm. year. Um, and she just she it was just so sweet and she didn't have to. And she's like, I'm you know, I love you. I'm so glad you're my stepmom. And it, it meant the world to me. I actually saved Absolutely. it so that I like yeah. it never goes away, you know? Yeah, that's
1: when you like print out and you know, tuck away <laughs> to read on days when you're really struggling with it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So well that's really cool. I mean, it's an inspiring story about You know, and and thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your, you know, your hard times and how you pulled yourself out of them. And I think that becomes a guiding light for other people because we all have those times where you know it's just nothing is looking up. And um, you know, it's really helpful to hear a story of somebody who turned things around and and what helped you with that.
1: I would, yeah, I was going to say, I would love to take credit and just say, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I'm this really amazing person. None of that's true. (laughs) It it was because I, it was because I had a great support system. And so that's the first thing I would tell anybody who's, who's in that position, whether it's because of blended family stuff or anything else, when you are struggling, please reach out for help. Yeah. Reach out. I mean, call me, call Lynn, call a buddy, call a pastor, call a counselor, call, you know, somebody that you know, love and trust and, and reach out to them and just say, Hey, I'm struggling. Can you help me? Yeah, that's the single most important thing you can do, and and I, I have to remind people that's not a sign of weakness; it's a sign of wisdom to recognize your own limitations. So, one of my favorite books of all time is *Mere Christianity* by C.S. Lewis, and there's a great phrase in that book where he he says this: He says, "If you won't reach out to that which is stronger than yourself, what can you reach out to for help?" Mm. And, And that's exactly it. Like that's what we need to be doing. And it's not that we are weaker than other people, but it's like if they're not struggling like we are in that moment then allow them to bless you by sharing their strength with you.
0: Absolutely. And again, it's not
1: weakness, it's wisdom. Be willing to do that.
0: And that's part of why I do this podcast as well is just because, you know, first of all, it's so inspiring to speak to people like you and learn and gain wisdom that I can help you know for my own life and for my family. But then hopefully people are listening and taking away pieces of information that work for them and it makes their life a little bit better. And so I just, I think it's so important the more we can show up for each other um, it benefits everybody. It's it's just, you know, one of the gifts of being human. And again, mm-hmm. that's a perspective thing because right. we can look at other people with a negative light or we can look at other people and say, how can I help or how can I learn from them? And, and that's when life becomes so much richer. It's really yeah, true.
1: Absolutely. And and just what can I learn from this, you know, brutally awful, I hate it right now situation? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because You have to may- go through
0: it. You that's have right. to go through it.
1: And it, it, there's a great quote. I think it's Winston Churchill who said, if you're going through hell, keep going.
0: Yes, you will right. come out of it, you yeah. know, whether it's a global pandemic or right. whatever it is, it, there will be another side. We just have to, to muscle on and yep. um, there's and the just no is, way around it.
1: That's right. And then once you're through, reach back and help someone else because now you know what it takes to get out. So reach back and help someone who's still there because now you're better equipped to do that. Yes. right. And that's one of the big things that, that people may not fully understand too. Sometimes when we're going through stuff, it's so that we can help other people in the future. Right? Yeah, there's the, always know, a lesson. There's always yeah,
0: something you take away from it that makes you yep. stronger, but equips you to help others too. So then they can benefit from your struggles.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and it's one of those things where I know soccer coaches and teachers we talk a lot about the phrase "pay it forward" because mm-hmm. that's that's a lot of why we do what we do. Because I don't I don't know anyone who's ever gotten rich being a high school teacher and a you know like a club soccer coach. <laughs> right. I, I tell kids all the time I did not get my history degree because of the great job prospects in terms of big paychecks. Like if I <laughs> yeah. that's why I went to school to study history, I'm an idiot. And you shouldn't right. say anything I have to say. <laughs> um, but wow. none, like we do it because we love it. And that's what we've been called to do and, and we feel very blessed to get to help other people who are dealing with certain things. I, I love Seeing kids have those aha moments where they understand something that they didn't and -hmm. they connect it with something that they are currently understanding or dealing with in their personal lives. That's amazing that those are great moments. And same thing on the soccer field. I told my kids at practice yesterday, like the reason we do this is not just to become better soccer players, because the reality is, Mm -hmm. statistically, none of them are going to make a living from the game of soccer. (laughs) Right. So what are what are they doing spending all their time, energy, blood, sweat, tears on the field? And why are their parents paying money? Well, the Mm -hmm. answer is for you to become better people using mm-hmm. the game of soccer. I've, I've got a buddy that I played with in college and he was interviewed for a coaching book that I've read. And he says mm-hmm. something great. He said, the thing is what we're doing is teaching life lessons. Soccer oh, is just yeah. the medium that we're using. Yep, And that's yeah. exactly it. And it's the same thing with everything that we're doing here. History class is great. You need to learn some history, but really more importantly, you need to learn life lessons through the history
0: right you know what mistakes were made in the past how we can not make those mistakes again also learning how to learn is part mm-hmm. of being in school just so that you can be Amen. a lifelong learner and be curious and mm-hmm. and just not take something at face value but really scrutinize it and turn it around and yes and what can you take away and how can you then make a difference how can you yep. make the world a better place yep, 100% so agree. i agree I have a couple of questions, both about teaching and soccer. And so, okay. one question I wanted to ask you as a teacher you know, you become a role model in the lives of young people, and it's such an important role and unfortunately so undervalued in our country. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm so sorry about that. And I actually have my oldest is going to college in a few weeks, and he Uh, wants to be a math teacher. And so I I mean, love him and admire him for doing it. And he's so passionate about math and he loves seeing those aha moments. But, you know, again, it's, it's blood, sweat and tears and it kind of thankless, but, but, you know, we need these, these passionate teachers. So what do you think is the most important message for teens as they're trying to figure out who they are and what kind of life they want to build? You know, I'm sure you've encountered so many in your career. So what is that most important message
1: for them? Um, there's, so there's a couple things, one you already touched on, and that is the idea of having a growth mindset, um, being willing to learn how to learn mm-hmm. so that you can be a lifelong learner. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the big things that I need kids to understand is that the purpose of education has nothing to do with a paycheck, mm-hmm. right? The, the reason that. that you, the reason that you go to college is not to get a good job so you can have a comfortable life. Like I know that used to be the case and that used to be how we sold college to people. That's not it. The, the purpose of college and, and the thing is I'm a believer in classical education or what used to be called like the liberal arts. Right. And so the idea there is the reason you become educated is to become a better human being. Hmm. That's the whole purpose of it. you. You become educated so that you better understand the world that you live in. Um, and you, you become educated by learning about values, not just about how to pass a standardized multiple question kind of a test.
0: Right. Uh, that, right. You
1: know, being good at test taking is not, the same thing as being educated. And so that's one of the big things I need to get teens to understand is that the purpose of their education is not what they think it is. When they get that, then they're a lot more willing to put in the work because they're realizing, okay, so I can still get a good job, but the way I'm going to do that is not by majoring in X or Y, it's by being a good learner and mm-hmm. learning how to be a good learner, and learning how to treat people well—what is unfortunately called, you know, the soft skills mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that you learn in your social science or your humanities kind of classes—and mm-hmm. um, so that's a, that's one of the big messages. Um, another thing that I really try to teach kids—I don't want to use the word focus necessarily—but um, how to administer their time. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. These kids are like—we're at the stage of education to where there will never again be a generation that mm-hmm. doesn't know internet and smartphones. <laughs> True. I, I started I started teaching in 2004. Uh-huh. Internet was still not even in everybody's home. Email was still relatively new mm-hmm. and smartphones were a glimmer in Steve Jobs' eye. Mm-hmm. Um, those things just didn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. And and so teaching today is very different than it was back in 2004. Yeah. Um, kids are just more distracted. They have shorter attention spans. There are 8 mm-hmm. million more things to catch their attention mm-hmm. and so part of my job is teaching them, listen, you need to learn how to distinguish between what's important and what's entertaining. Mm-hmm. If, if you think that life is about being entertained as much as possible, you mm-hmm. are wasting your life. Mm-hmm. You're, you're breathing good air that other people ought to be using. I need, <laughs> I need you to stop wasting your life and your potential because yeah. like I have a smartphone. I get it. It's tempting to sit down and just scroll through whatever it is you're scrolling through. For me, it's soccer articles on ESPN.com. Uh-huh. Um, But the thing is, that's not what we were created for. That is not what you're here for. And you've got to learn. You've got to learn that. And you've got to be willing to say, okay, what is it going to take for me to put this down and do something useful for a while? Yeah. Right? Uh, So, one of my biggest struggles is teaching kids put down your phone, pick up a book.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, this is the Make Meaning podcast. And I work a lot with people about discovering what their meaning is, what their mm -hmm. purpose is. And then from that place, deciding how they're going to build their life. Because, yeah, absolutely. totally agree with you that we're put here for a reason. Um, you know, each person has their unique individual purpose and yep. their way of contributing to the world. And until you know that, it's sort of like you're wandering aimlessly. And and right. so it should be this pursuit of purpose that is the goal of any education so that yes. you can then step into the world in a really meaningful way.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and one of the things that you mentioned that I love is um, part of that part of the role of education is for helping kids find what it is that brings them joy. Right. And, and again, that's one thing we have, that's something we have to teach kids. There's a huge gap between true abiding joy and temporary mm-hmm. enjoyment. Right, Those are not right. the same thing. I get that you enjoy playing video games on your phone. <laughs> yeah. That is not joy. No. Well, but right. I can get a job playing video games. These days. <laughs> I know that. I'm telling you, that's not the same thing as joy. Now, if that's, if that's what you really were created for, maybe, but I'm going to lean towards no, right? (laughs) Again, like I love Mario Kart as much as the next person So I'm not saying (laughs) video games are just bad in and of themselves, but like you kids have to learn the difference between joy and temporary happiness. Right. And And, and, and some gratification. Yeah. When they do that, then they can learn what it is that they were created for. What is, what is it that truly brings you that joy that you don't find anywhere else?
0: Yeah.
1: And then how can you be involved in that?
0: Because then it's not work. Then it's what you're meant to do, and it's easy. It's effortless. It's you know, there's passion behind it, and so everybody benefits.
1: That's exactly right. It certainly makes it so that you enjoy a lot more days than you don't enjoy. Exactly. Um, Because no matter what you do, like there are going to be things that you struggle with. As much as we love our kids, there are days when we kind of want to, you know, beat them over the head with a frying pan or whatever. (laughs) Right. Uh, But yeah. But yeah, that's so. I've and I've told people this for years. I. I had to be very careful when I started saying it because it sounded offensive to both my wife and my kids. (laughs) Um, But I said, listen, I, I get a different kind of joy by playing the game of soccer Mm -hmm. than I get anywhere else in my, in my life. Mm -hmm. I didn't say better or bigger, but Mm -hmm. it is different. And that's been this, that's been true since Mm -hmm. I was a three-year-old kid. I -hmm. also played baseball and I loved it. I played basketball and it was okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But sports in general, soccer specifically brings me a different kind of joy than anything else in the world ever has. I love studying history. I love everything related to J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. You know, Lord of the Rings and Narnia, those kinds of things. Like, mm-hmm. I love my wife and kids, and mm-hmm. they bring me a different kind of joy than I get anywhere else as well. But yeah. in terms of like occupational stuff,
0: yeah,
1: history things uh, are great and they're a lot of fun. And I get a certain kind of joy from again those aha moments with the kids. Yep. But there's nothing like going out on a soccer field and kicking a ball around for a while. Totally. and and i'm not looking forward to the day when i'm too old or beaten up to where i can't do that anymore i'm i'm going to be 38 by the time this uh, comes out uh-huh. and um you know i'm so i'm i'm sort of looking at a calendar going i wonder how many more years i can play at a oh you reason- got a
0: long way to go you've got a I long hope way to so. go that's, yes that's what i'm I will hoping i'll tell for. you cuz i'm up in the cold north here and in detroit and my my father who whom i lost 6 months ago but he um thank you he played hockey until he was 70 i think heck yeah And wait, he played in the under 30 league instead of the under 40 league because it it was too slow for him. So I'm really proud of that. You know, that is Um, awesome. So he had like 11 and a half years of his life that he didn't play hockey, basically. And so that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, you got a while, you've got like I,
1: that's a good great. long that's while. That's so encouraging.
0: <laughs> yes. yes. So I have another question about soccer sure. too. So um, you mentioned in our pre-interview that your former soccer coach, Eric, is someone you admire for how he lives <laughs> according to yeah. his personal meaning. Yep. And I love how you said, um, and I'm quoting here, he's neither rich nor famous, but he is a man of integrity and wisdom. He has lived all of his life as a man who is faithful to his calling. So I wanted to hear how you came to understand this and how he has inspired you um
1: yeah eric after my own father eric's probably the most influential male in my whole life he was my youth pastor and soccer coach in high school Mm -hmm. and then we became friends after that and he was um he was in my second wedding Oh, and, um, he just is, uh, he's a tremendous influence on me. He is, uh, he's the reason I went and played college soccer where I played. I played uh-huh. at a small Presbyterian school outside of Chattanooga called Covenant College. It's up on okay. top of Lookout Mountain. It's one of the most beautiful campuses in the country. I mean, it wow. is absolutely stunning. So, um, I, I recommend that place to everybody who wants to be academically and spiritually challenged as mm-hmm. a, uh, as a college student. Nice. Um, but Eric had played there. And mm-hmm. when he was coaching me in high school, he took a group of us up to Covenant to visit. And mm-hmm. I fell in love with it as a sophomore in high school and never even applied anywhere else, which goes mm. against everything I teach kids about how to apply to colleges. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But I knew, I knew that's where I wanted to go, and I went there, and I played for the same coach he played for Mm -hmm. uh, for a couple years before I got married the first time, and then I started coaching with him, and Mm -hmm. that was pretty cool. The thing about Eric is he probably could have become like a famous pastor at a big church or a Mm -hmm. famous author by writing Christian books or something, but Mm -hmm. the thing is he was an he was a youth pastor for years and an assistant pastor, and now Mm -hmm. he's pastor of a very small church in Jasper, Tennessee, outside Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, I mean, I say very small, that makes it sound bad. I don't mean it that way, but it's <laughs> pretty small congregation. Um, uh-huh. But he has uh, six kids, two <laughs> biological and four adopted ones in the middle. So his oldest son is like 24. His okay. youngest son is like eight. Oh. And he's got, yeah. And then he's got a, an adopted son and three adopted daughters in the middle. Wow. Amazing. And, yeah, and that's the thing. And his wife played... Basketball at Covenant, that's where they met. Uh-huh. And what they have spent their life doing is ministering to their communities. Uh-huh. They've, they've never been in it for money. They've never been in it for fame. What mm-hmm. they've done is they've taken care of their family and they have taken care of the communities where they were, whether that was here in Anniston, where I live, or mm-hmm. in Chattanooga when they were in college, mm-hmm. or in Jasper now that they're doing it up there, mm-hmm. uh, or when they were in St. Louis when he was in seminary. Like That's what they do. Is he, he lives out what he says he believes. He loves mm-hmm. other people. He takes care of other people. He ministers to them. Um, one of the most moving things that he shared with me a couple months ago uh, was when he had to perform a funeral service right at the beginning of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Because there were five people there, and they had right. to be—you know—I forget how far apart at the time the the, the things were—and he said it was it was wonderful and brutal at the same time, yeah. because you knew there were a lot of people who wanted to be here grieving, and who the family that was there really would have benefited from having their support.
0: Yes, yeah,
1: and and they couldn't be there because of the statutes that were in place, and so that he said, you know, I felt like that put a lot more. Yeah. Responsibility on me to make sure that I did what I could to encourage and comfort them in the midst of difficulty. Yeah. And and that's the thing is like he's never gonna tell that story in public unless he's preaching a sermon and uses it as an illustration. Like he doesn't he's one of the most humble men that I know. Sure. And um and again I, I feel like he's spent his whole life being that same guy. Yeah. Uh, and again, I just, I tremendously respect the fact that what he has chosen to do and what he feels called to do is to take care of people in his home, in his community, in his church. And whether he ever gets paid tons of money or lots of recognition mm-hmm. doesn't actually matter. He's doing it because that's what he's supposed to do.
0: Well, it's like, what else is there? Like when you say it like that, you just, and I think about it and I'll tell you something, um, you know, because of this pandemic, you know, right when it was starting, my husband and I just looked at our monthly budget. And of course, so many things went away because there weren't the school sports and there weren't, you know, haircuts or whatever. And so, um, so it was really easy to pare down the budget. And so now that things are reopening and we're sort of getting back to a, a new normal, I'm kind of, Thinking, do we need to put that stuff back in the budget? I mean, yes, haircuts yeah. we do, but you know, right. other things um, we might not. And it makes you take stock. Yes. And I feel like we have more appreciation for what matters, and mm-hmm. at least I do. And I hope we can maintain that as we go forward. But um, but really, all the things we think we fill our time with and our lives with, we don't always need. And so I feel like, yeah, I mean, I'm just so inspired. I, I want to meet Eric. You know, it sounds like <laughs> such an yeah. inspiring
1: individual. So. Yeah. Er- Eric and Maggie are just two of the greatest people in the world. Uh, that's him and his wife. And, uh-huh. uh, and they're just, I'm telling you, you would love them because they're just great people. And I don't, awesome. I, I've met very, I don't know if I've ever met anybody who didn't like Eric and Maggie. Actually, I'm trying yeah. to think back. Like if there are, if I'm, there may be people out there who don't, but I don't know them. Um, well,
0: jo- Joel, it's so nice chatting with you and I wish we could go on and on, but I do have to wrap things up and I always finish <laughs> my episodes by asking my guests to offer permission slips for our listeners on how mm-hmm. they can find their meaning and live a life of purpose. So I would like to know, Joel Hawbaker, what permission slip you might offer to our listeners today.
1: So there's, there's two things that, um, that immediately come to mind. Right, and The, the first mm-hmm. one is one that I share on most podcast interviews that I do. It's a quote from the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. um, by J.R.R. R. Tolkien, and he says this. He says, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. I love that quote because it's, it's a, 100% true. Like We all have the same amount of time in a day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that leads to the second part, which is to spend your time doing things that serve others and bring you joy. Mm-hmm. Right? because that's where you will find what your purpose is. I don't. I don't know if people realize this. My high school students certainly don't yet. Mm-hmm. Our, our purpose is never selfish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our purpose in life is never to serve ourselves. If that's like, if if what you're pursuing is your own stuff, mm-hmm. that's probably not going to bring you the kind of joy that that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may think it is because I mean, we've all heard about people who you know, chase the end of the rainbow or they're always looking for the next big thing or whatever it is. I got to get the nicer car. I got to get the newer phone or I got to get the whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. then you find out that's not, that doesn't actually bring you the joy you thought it would. Right. That's right. right, It's because you, it's because you weren't meant to serve you. Mm -hmm. And so I would encourage you find ways to help other people. And Mm -hmm. in doing that, you will discover what it is that brings you joy Mm-hmm. And and that's where you're going to find your purpose. Again, I feel like there's a strong correlation between what someone's purpose is mm-hmm. and what brings them joy. Because you said it great earlier, where you said when you when you when you have a job that brings mm-hmm. you joy, when you have a job that aligns with your purpose, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. Like no. you do it because you love it, and they happen to pay you for it. That's a bonus. Like that's great. It's like great. How did I luck into this? You know. Yes, yes. So. I have felt that way most of my adult life as a teacher. I'll be honest.
0: That's awesome. And I hope everybody listening can really, you know, grab that and and make it true for themselves because mm-hmm. that's the best kind of life. You know, we're yeah. we're here for a limited time. We might as well make the most of it. And I feel like Absolutely. that's the way you do it, you know? Yeah. Well, Joel Hallbaker, it's such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for being on the Make Meaning podcast.
1: Yeah, Lynn, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I've had a great, great time talking with you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galodner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.